0: Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 135. Today's topic is A New Deal for a New Era. We'll be talking about a new deal for a new era in a few minutes, but first, here's what the Climate Report is all about. So here's the deal. We've got a serious problem to solve. As a nation, we have a serious problem to solve. As a species, we have a serious problem to solve. As a global community, we have a serious problem to solve. And not just one serious problem, but multiple related serious problems. So the serious problem I referred to is climate change, and it's related to five, or rather four other separate and distinct threats to our very existence. Now, you would think if there were five separate and distinct threats to our very existence, then the government would be on board and would be providing good leadership. And you would think that the media would be on board and would not just be reporting about these things every now and then, but it would be front page headlines every day, and we would be talking about how to solve the problem, not whether to solve the problem. In relation to climate change, we've known for 150 years that carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. We've known for 150 years that when sunlight hits carbon dioxide, it turns a little bit of that sunlight into heat energy. What we've known for 30 years, officially, is that we have a greenhouse effect on Earth and it is caused by humans. 97% of scientists that are currently publishing in the area of climate believe that climate change is caused by humans. And every major reputable scientific institution and organization and professional association says that climate change is human-caused and is a serious problem that we need to solve or else. But truth is not an obstacle wherever money and profits are involved. The oil companies are some of the most profitable companies to ever exist, and they use that money to distract us, to confuse us, they use that money to buy our politicians, they use that money to charge full steam ahead with every conceivable fossil fuel project including pipelines, including drilling, including petrochemical plants. They also use that money to lobby for war because war is a very important part of the oil company business plan. So we have a choice. We can either side with science science, and scientists or we can side with the oil companies. Those are our two choices. And unfortunately, a substantial portion of the American population has allowed themselves to be confused by the oil money. And a substantial portion of our Elected leaders, both at the federal and state level, have allowed themselves to be purchased by oil money, and the carbon dioxide outputs continue to rise. What was 280 parts per million prior to the Industrial Revolution is now 400 or 410 parts per million. We're moving toward 500 parts per million at a brisk pace and if we stay on our present course there's every reason to believe that the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere will be 1000 parts per million believe me when i say we're not going to survive that temperatures have already risen by one degree celsius which is almost two degrees fahrenheit official international agreements such as the paris accord would have us to limit warming to 1.5 degrees celsius it's almost, by many estimates it's almost impossible at this point to keep the warming to only 1.5 degrees celsius that's a global average we still have a fighting chance to keep the temperatures below two degrees celsius but even that is speculation and only if we start now by many uh, scientific estimates any, anything in excess of two degrees Celsius is just going to end civilization as we know it. And yet if you watch the evening news, if you watch the cable news, and if you read the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or the Washington Post, you would hardly get a sense that there is anything to be concerned about. Because what's really important is GDP, and what's really important is Trump's latest tweets, and what's really important is the drama between the establishment Democrats and the establishment Republicans. The media is a weapon of mass distraction. The media are owned by the people who have serious money. The media is controlled by people who have serious money. The the media is sponsored by people who have serious money. And that's why the media, the commercial media, the for-profit media, is always going to reflect the needs, interests, and concerns of the people who have serious money. But the needs, interests, and concerns of the people who have serious money are quite different from the needs, interests, and concerns of the other 99% of humanity. That's why we need to take the media reporting with a grain of salt and we need to get our information from truth-based sources. I hope you consider the Climate Report to be a truth-based source, because I certainly strive to be. But you need to to have a list of truth-based sources. You need to have a list of people that you follow regularly that are not going to put a pro-corporate spin on all the uh, facts and the events that are going on. So I can tell you my truth-based sources, they include Noam Chomsky, Naomi Klein, Vandana Shiva, Amy Goodman, Ralph Nader, Chris Hedges, and an economist by the name of Michael Hudson, also an economist by the name of Jeffrey Sachs, S-A-C-H-S. I urge you to have your own truth-based sources because the truth is not an abundant commodity. Distraction is an abundant commodity. Spin is an abundant commodity. But truth is scarce and you can't find truth just anywhere. Nobody knows everything. Nobody has a lock or a monopoly on the truth. But once you understand the truth, then it sure becomes a whole lot easier to spot a lie. And that's what the climate report is all about. This program is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker, and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Also go to my website, theclimatereport.net, to get access to previous episodes, blog posts, and videos. So today's topic is a new deal for a new era. And in that regard, I'm lucky to have stumbled upon a new website called neweconomics.org. I highly recommend that you visit neweconomics.org. There's a lot of good material there, and I'll be reviewing some of it and commenting on it. So on this show, I talk a lot about the Green New Deal, because the Green New Deal is the opportunity of a lifetime, So why is the Green New Deal the opportunity of a lifetime? Because it's an opportunity to reshape our government into a government for the people. Now we've been told that we have a government of the people, by the people, for the people. That was certainly Abraham Lincoln's fondest hope and aspiration when he used that phrase in the Gettysburg Address. But government of the people is called a democracy. What we have today is much more of a plutocracy than a democracy. So if you picture a continuum in between pure democracy at the one extreme and pure plutocracy at the other extreme, where a plutocracy is the rule of money, the government that we have today is much closer to a pure plutocracy than a pure democracy. And that, I would assert, is the source of everything else that ails us. So one question is, who do we trust? Do we trust the people? Or do we trust a ruling elite? Some of us in our history classes, in our social studies classes, in our political science classes, we got this subtle but powerful message that the rule of the people is dangerous. It even has a name, it's called mob rule. Like if you let the majority have its way, it'll be just chaos. It's like people showing up at your door with torches and pitchforks. How did we get the idea that the rule of the majority is the mob rule? That is a subtle pro-establishment message that most of us received in school and in the media. But the only alternative to so-called mob rule is the rule of a self-appointed elite. I don't know about you, but I feel that 435 randomly selected people would do a better job than the Congress that we have now. Because the Congress that we have now are self-selected and selected by money. The Congress that we have now, 99% of them are there because they played the game of getting corporate money. And if they're getting corporate money, then they're not serving you and me. They are doing the bidding of their corporate donors. So what would be the downside? Now this is just a thought experiment. It's not a serious proposal like amend the Constitution to select rulers radically. randomly but what would be the downside you might say well some of them might turn out to be crazy but the majority would not be crazy and you might say some of them would turn out to be power hungry but we've already got that you're going to attract power hungry people when you allow Congress to be filled with people who are self selected and selected by money so I've spent a fair amount of time with all types of people and I have much greater trust in the wisdom of the randomly selected citizen than I do in politicians who are self-selected and selected by money and it all gets down to who do you trust? Do you trust a self-appointed ruling elite or do you trust the wisdom of common people? I know what my answer is And that brings us to the title of our text, which is An Economy for the People by the People. Now, this is from the website of the New Economics Foundation. It says, Our lives are dominated by an economic system that fuels inequality, makes our jobs and homes more insecure, and hastens environmental breakdown. Support for this system is crumbling which places us at a moment of both great danger and great opportunity. Disaffection with political and economic institutions has unleashed the forces of the populist right, but also created a a once-in-a-generation chance to define and build a new economy. Some people are building this new economy right now in the places they live and work, From workers' cooperatives to community-owned energy, they are shifting wealth and power to people and their communities. But while our zombie economic system stumbles on, all that energy will continue to be blocked by an outdated set of economic rules and institutions. That's why I titled this episode, A New Deal for a New Era. I'm inviting you to think about what is the exact nature of the era that we are in. If it's time for a change, just how much of a change are we ready for? One thing's for sure, people are driven, if you will, by a fear of the unknown. The Republicans and the established Democrat, establishment Democrats are always ready and eager to use fear to get people to do things and pay taxes and to oppose change. They use fear to get us to spend a trillion dollars a year on the military, making us afraid of false enemies. And that fear of change and fear of the unknown is very real. That's why those of us who are in favor of the Green New Deal, well, we had better be doing our homework. Because we need to be able to explain, justify, and defend the Green New Deal to those who oppose it. We need to be able to explain, justify, and defend the Green New Deal to the wealthy elites that are making quite a bit of money, thank you, with business as usual. Not. I, I, I want to correct that. We don't have to explain ourselves to the wealthy elites. We don't need their permission because we have something they don't have. We have the numbers. We have the vote. We already have enough people on our side. A majority of people favor Medicare for All, which will be part of the, new, the Green New Deal. A majority of people favor a living wage. A majority of people favor the reduction of defense spending. A majority of people think the government should be providing leadership to address issues related to climate change. So we have people on our side. Another thing we have on our side is a genuine concern for actual people. The ruling elite don't have that. All they want to do is manipulate people so that the people will vote for policies that that favor the rich. And they also want to manipulate people to be good consumers, consumers of oil, consumers of housing, consumers of goods that we don't need, consumers of digital entertainment that we really would not choose if we had a choice. But are we ready to change the outdated set of economic rules and institutions? Continuing to read, we work with people igniting change from below. This is talking about the New Economics Foundation. We work with people igniting change from below, and we combine this with rigorous research to fight for change at the top. Now, it says of the New Economics Foundation, we are guided by six principles. Let's go through those these six principles, because as soon as I read them, I said, yes, this is great. Principle number one, a thriving and healthy environment is at the core of the new system. Living within environmental limits and reversing climate change is a core purpose of our economic model and the institutions that guide it. Okay, as opposed to what? Well, when we talked about the Green Party platform on a previous episode, we acknowledged that this economic system that we have has no regard whatsoever for the environment. Water pollution, air pollution, climate change producing greenhouse gases, all of these things are produced in abundance in our current economic system. The other day I was reading the lyrics to the song The Circle of Life from The Lion King, and part of it goes like this. Some say eat or be eaten, some say live and let live, but all are agreed, as they join the stampede, you should never take more than you give. And when I read that, I said, that's it, that's it. You should never take more than you give. It should be agreed in our political system and in our economic system. It should be agreed that you should never take more than you give. But what we have today From an ecological standpoint, is that so many of these big polluting companies are taking more than they give. The entire Fortune 500, each and every one of them, are taking more than they give. So I live in Kentucky, and the Appalachian Mountains are dominated by the coal industry. And the coal industry comes in promising jobs. And they give jobs for a little while, and then they move out, and what they leave is a boom-and-bust economy, and they leave a lot of water pollution in their wake, and they have taken more than they are giving. The oil companies, by pushing, pushing, pushing forever more climate-changing carbon emissions, they're making a lot of money, and they're taking more than they give. That's what big corporations do best. They take more than they give. That's what agribusiness corporations do. They take more than they give. They come in and they plow up the ground to ensure that there's going to be plenty of erosion so that we're going to lose all of our topsoil within the next few decades. And they use lots and lots and lots and lots of pesticides. So they're killing off all of our pollinators. And we're not going to have any pollinators at this rate. And believe me when I say we cannot survive without pollinators. By the way, those pesticides are neurotoxins. They were originally invented as nerve gas in World War I. And when when the war was over, it's like, oh, what are we going to do with all these neurotoxins? Well, let's kill insects with it. And what are we going to do with these bomb factories? Well... They figured out a way to make fertilizer, and the modern agribusiness industry was born. But agribusiness takes more than it gives. There are entire sections of the ocean that are dead because of the water pollution produced by agribusiness. Fast food companies take more than they give because in order to produce those cheap hamburgers, they have to clear rainforests in South America for cattle grazing and for Roundup Ready corn and Roundup Ready soybeans that they feed the cattle with and they are taking more than they are giving. On the other hand, the Green New Deal and the Green Party and progressives among the Democrats and the New Economics Foundation from which we are reading today These are people and institutions that believe in ecological economics. We should not take more than we give. And besides, we have an opportunity here to create a whole new world. We have an opportunity to have organic farming among us, close by, where our food is being grown close by. More nutritious food, tastier food, Food that's not going to disappear when there's some global crisis because of the fragile supply chains on which the this agribusiness food system depends. Okay, so let's go to the next item. Number two in the six principles by which we are guided, by which the New Economics Foundation is, is guided, is better and more equal living standards. The basics for a decent quality of life basic income, housing, health, social care, education, and child care are guaranteed for all and provided collectively, and income and wealth inequality are reduced with improvements in well being, regardless of class, race, or gender. Now, in America, anti communism and anti socialism is the state religion. Some people think that to be a good American, you have to be against socialism, because that's what the Russians were, and the Russians were the big bad enemy. And supposedly, the way the story goes, well, the Soviet Union failed, so communism failed. So people who have bought into that whole narrative are suspicious of things like equality and wealth redistribution and social care, social programs, socialized medicine. And yet, and yet, the majority of Americans, when asked on an issue-by-issue basis, they believe in all these policies that are identified with socialism. They believe in Medicare for all. They believe in labor's right to organize They believe that an education should be free irrespective of ability to pay. They believe that people should have child care, that young parents should not be strapped with the expense of child care. Besides, look at it this way. We have a system in which if you're a diabetic, it's hard to pay for your insulin. What kind of barbarians are opposing people's access to affordable insulin. And as it turns out, the best way to make it affordable is to make all health care free. Period. People don't get health care because they're trying to game the system, even if some of them do. So what? Every industrialized country has free health care. And if you're one of those people who can afford your own health insurance and you're not having trouble paying for health care, I have two things to say. One is the day may come when you do have trouble paying for your health care. And the second thing I have to say is that if you're aggravated at people below you on the economic scale, then you're probably being manipulated by people above you on the economic scale. If you think the poor, are picking your pockets. You're looking in the wrong direction. If you're middle class, it's not the poor who are picking your pockets. It is the rich. Item number 3 in the guiding principles of the New Economics Foundation. Greater common and cooperative ownership. Common ownership of public goods. Essential infrastructure and services is the norm with more businesses, assets, and technologies in cooperative, mutual, or employee ownership. Okay, so here's an example of that. I buy a lot of Kindle books and audiobooks and even paper books and hardcover books from Amazon. I'm, I'm grateful that those are available to me. I'm grateful that... If I want a Kindle book, I can download it instantly at a rather affordable price. But why aren't many of those books available at the public library? So the public library has the technology to give people access to audiobooks. And I've done some of that, but the selection is pretty poor. And the public library has the Technology to give people access to Kindle books and I've done that but the selection is pretty poor So what we have is books being bought by people who can afford them But for people who can't afford books the selection is pretty poor So principle number three of the New Economics Foundation is greater common and cooperative ownership We should have more common ownership of books We should have more common and cooperative ownership of public parks. In other words, expanded public parks. And as part of that, we should have more common ownership of places to grow our vegetables in the summer. And these programs should be promoted. And the reason they're not promoted is because they compete with the money of the big corporations. The big corporations don't have any reason... To want that stuff to be promoted. And what the big corporations want is all of our time, all of our money, all of our attention. Because that's how they make money. They have no reason to want communities to be involved in community theater. They have no reason to want public schools to thrive as public schools. Because privatization of public schools is a multi-billion dollar per year opportunity. They have no reason to want public colleges to be able to thrive as public colleges, which is a topic we'll have to take up next time because we're almost out of time. So I've got about another minute. I'd like to leave you with a thought. We have an opportunity to create a whole new world. But in order to make that happen, we're going to have to learn how that new world is put together. Because some of these Most of the ideas I'm sharing with you are decades and centuries old, but they have been kept from us by big corporations that control much of our society, and they've been kept from us because these ideas are not profitable for big companies, but we need to stop thinking about what's profitable for big companies, and we need to start thinking about what's profitable for you and me, what's profitable for society, what's profitable for children, and what's profitable for average people. That's all for now. Thanks for joining me. Hope you'll come back next time.